Father, thank you um, for just worship. I, I just thought it was really, um, not only was it good in the sense of talent, but just very uplifting, very, um, everything from Christmas-centered to Christ-centered. And Amen. God, we're just grateful. We're grateful that every time we come together to, to honor you and worship, that you show up and your presence resides. And there's a sense of just your loving kindness and your goodness. There's just your an expression of the spirit, fatherly love. I could name so many things, but we're just grateful for it. We don't want to just assume that that's a given because I know lots of places don't have that that warmth and resonance that you've blessed us with. And I just want to say thank you for it. God, as we look at the word this morning, I do just pray, God, a, a fresh resting of your spirit on me to communicate what's in the word of God this morning with accuracy, but also with a sense of the spirit's breath in it because your word is alive, it's living and breathing. And God, I pray for the listeners. Anoint their ears to hear what your spirit would say to them this morning. God, the things that I've written down and planned to, change, to say, I pray that if you want them to, those to be different, just change them. Give me sensitivity to follow. Give the, the hearers sensitivity to hear. And in all means, glorify Jesus and, and just bless us with your presence right now. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are now in the last of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And somebody said, aren't you going to stop for Christmas? Um, no. I'm not, okay? And believe it or not, we did actually discuss this. We, we said, should we stop and kind of go through like, no, we, we captured Christmas in worship. I'm going to talk about it some next week, but I'm still going to tie it into the book of Revelation, believe it or not. Um, next week's service will be really fun. You're going to have kids up here reading scriptures and dressed cute and probably singing poorly and all of that stuff. Um, so I want to encourage you, come on out, bring somebody, but is... As we focus in on the, the finishing up of the churches, and I said this to you every week, that the churches actually are the most applicable portions of this particular book to you and I as believers today. Because once we hit chapter 4, that is all in the future. Everything chapter 4 is the future. My, my mic's ringing. You guys want to work on that real quick? Because I'm, I'm actually toning my voice down so that I don't ring. Because if I talk the way I normally talk, it's going to go, wing, boing, boing. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say that publicly, but I don't know how else to say my mic is ringing. Um, so as we look at this, this is the last of the seven churches. Every single church has a different application to our lives. So I want to walk through just some of the review, and then we're going to jump into the, the church at Laodicea. And now I need a little more volume, you guys. I can't hear me. Let's, let's get this straight. I'm going to say good morning. How's everybody doing? Is your Christmas shopping done? There's the ring. I hear the ring. I'm not trying to be annoying. I'm just trying to make sure that it's not ringing the whole time I'm preaching. We closer, better, almost there. Um, working on it. He's doing a great job. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things with these churches. First off, all seven churches are literal churches. These were real cities with real churches, with, with real people, with real pastors, and real problems. All of them were, and Jesus comes to all of the churches, and he gives recommendations, commendations, rebukes, and with every church, we've walked through the different aspects, the five different aspects of what Jesus does, and then we finish it with the promise that he gives, because every church gets a promise. Now, only two of the churches did not get a commendation. This morning, Laodicea is one of them, so we're going to see that as we jump in, but they're literal churches. They're, they're figurative churches. What does that mean that they're figurative? That... Every single church, even as it resonates today, has an aspect of the type of those churches in it today. 
So we have churches, people in our church this morning who have left their first love. We have people that have been persecuted. We have people that have bought into like immor immorality, like they've married themselves so closely to the world that they don't actually see it. They're not even aware of it. We have people like this morning, lukewarm. They're just not even aware. We have people like in Sardis that were dead. All of these, these are figurative types of churches, and we know that all of the messages apply because when Jesus closes it, he says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. He doesn't just say it to Laodicea. He says it to every church. So we know that there's a figurative application. The last is there's a historic application. Each one of these churches applies to a different segment of history. Um, it's interesting to study that. That was um, first put out by, uh, I'm spacing on the name. Can't grab it, so we'll keep going. Anyways, um, the historic view was done that way, and he looks at the different periods of church history. Um, like with Ephesus, they left their first love. Smyrna was a persecuted church, first century. Pergamum was the immoral church because they were married to the world. Monogamous, Pergamus, immoral marriage is literally what that means. Um, Thyatira was the idolatrous church. In other words, they, they started to worship people and things instead of Jesus, and that's when we see the Reformation come about. Talked to you quite a bit about that last week. Sardis is the dead church. And then we see the great awakenings happening. Philadelphia, the missional church. And then the last one is Laodicea. This is the apostate church. So this is a church that has moved away from admiring and adoring and placing Jesus first. You'd say, Pastor, I'd never do that. Not knowingly. See, what's wild about this, every single church was surprised by the compliments and equally surprised by the corrections. None of us thinks that we're dead. None of us thinks we're lukewarm. None of us thinks that we bought into the world. And over and over, every week I've said this to you, check your heart before Jesus. Because what I think doesn't really matter, but if the Spirit of God is talking to you, you should what? L listen, exactly. So Laodicea. So Revelation chapter 3. Starting in verse 14, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, but it says, To the angel of the church at Laodicea writes. So Laodicea, this is literally the rule of the people or justice for the people. Now I'm going to suggest to you this is very, very alive and well in America right now. Why do I say that? How many segments of groups, minority groups, special interest groups do we have driving the cultural agendas, the political agendas, the academic agendas in our nation right now? Justice for the people. I demand justice. We have this in the LGBTQ platform. We have it in Black Lives Matter. I'm not trying to pick on any ethnicity. I'm just saying these are real splinter groups that demand justice. And when they do that, they're actually not only leaving godly ways, but they're embracing the ways of the world and they're becoming quite lukewarm. So Laodicea literally is justice for the people. Laodicea was a wealthy place. It was actually the wealthiest of the seven cities. Um, they were known for, for trading. They were known for merchandising. Um, it was a major trade route. So in order to get to the east, you had to go through Laodicea. So there was lots of commerce there. Um, it was well known for having a banking center. So you guys ever thought about this? Like, you know, it's Christmas time and some of us are spending money we don't have. Don't say amen, but it's true. Um, and you wonder like, man, I pay a lot of interest on my credit cards and the banks have gigantic, beautiful buildings. Listen, you paid for them. 
with the interest on your credit cards. That's how they'd have those beautiful buildings because they're quite smart. Well, Laodicea was known as a banking center. That was part of what led to their wealth. They're known for manufacturing, particularly woolen fabrics and carpets. So, and don't worry, this is all going to tie into Jesus's correction of them. So pay attention. Some of this is important, even though it's historic in nature. Um, they produced sheep that had a soft black wool, only place in the world that produced them. What's interesting, it, it, that was still being produced all the way through the 19th century. So only until recent is that not the prominent thing there. Um, textiles, clothing, rugs, fabrics. Um, they discovered an eye salve. So they were known for having something that worked in your eyes. Anybody ever heard of boric acid? You know that boric acid is in eye drops? Like you go, man, get the red out. There's actually, and it stings initially when you put it in, right? And then it relieved. That, that was actually discovered here in Laodicea. So when Jesus is talking to them and he says, open your eyes, buy from me because it's a banking center. You're going to see, I'll break this all down for you in just a second. But these are all things that were alive and well in this city. Um, Laodicea had a temple to Asclepius. I can never say this word. Asclepius. It's the, the two snakes on a pole that we see in our doctor's offices. Even today you see it. That was a, a worship to the false god of healing. And we have it on our medical buildings, but whatever, you know, sometimes we're not so smart, I'm just saying. Um, so, it, it, again, wealthy. It was destroyed by earthquakes um, in the first century. Now, this is how wealthy they were. You guys ready? They rebuilt the city without the help of the state. Okay, so imagine for a second we have a big earthquake and Fontana falls down. All the houses, the buildings, the civic buildings, city hall, all of it just crumbles and we say, nah, we don't need any help, California. We don't need any help, federal government. We'll rebuild it ourselves. That's how wealthy they were. They said no to the state. They rebuilt it. It was destroyed again by another earthquake, just incidentally. Uh, there were a lot of Jews living there. It was known as a city of compromise. Um, Colossae and, and Laodicea were closely related. Um, when Paul spoke to Colossae, he, he addressed Laodiceans as well. He said, hey, once you guys have read the letter, send it over to Laodicea, over to Heropolis, which is another close town. Now, I don't know if you guys know this. This is a bit of trivia, biblical information for you. You guys read the Bible and you see the, the general epistles in your Bible, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. When they originally wrote those, there wasn't a city attached. It would be to the saints that are blank. And now, initially, those letters were sent to Ephesus, Galatia, Colossia, etc. But it was left blank because they would distribute it all throughout the region. So once it hit Ephesus, they would take it and send it over to Heropolis. They would send it over to Laodicea. So when Paul writes the Colossians, he says, hey, make sure you send it over to Laodicea. Now, the, Col the Laodiceans were well known for discounting Jesus, where the Colossians were quite the opposite. If you read the books, book of Colossians, it's regarded as one of the most Christological books in the New Testament, which means that it talks about Jesus and it emphasizes his person, his work, his Godhead, etc. So it's very, very important. It had very firm value. So Laodicea, continuing on, um, was, was founded likely by Epaphras, had a water system. You're going to see this in the lukewarm discussion. Now, the water system, there, there's several different theories about how the water system worked. So again, this is the backdrop for what we're about to read. So some of you guys are like, Pastor, you're killing me with the history. Just hang in. It's only like another minute or two. Some of you love it, some of you don't. But they show in the ruins that there's old clay pipes that they would pipe the water down, which was roughly about 10 miles away from the city proper. 
So they would pipe it in from Heropolis, which had hot springs, and, they, and also Colossae, which was known for fresh water. Now, some scholars would say there was a mingling of the pipes, so you'd have hot water and cold water, and you end up getting what? Lukewarm. That's one of the theories. The other theory is you piped in hot water, and as it traveled 10 miles, by the time it got there, it was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. The other theory is that it was piped in from Colossae, cold, but as it traveled the desert and the pipes got hot, by the time it got there, it was what? Okay, so now you see the picture of how Jesus is going to use natural means to talk to them about spiritual issues that are going on in their church. The water traveled a long distance, and I just express you the different way. Any way you look at this, it's a natural type of a spiritual issue that's existing in the church. Now, I want to talk to you very briefly about this, very briefly. This isn't in my notes. This is free. Oftentimes in our lives when we see an identity or an issue that keeps popping up or an attack that keeps happening in our lives, like I had a friend of mine, he sent me something where he said, hey, I'm going in to get some, my heart looked at. This guy has got the biggest heart I've ever known. Like I met him years and years ago in the restaurant industry. Um, he was, he, listen, he's the reason I ended up going to Bible college. I told him that recently. I said, do you realize you indirectly fired me so that I'd go pursue my calling? Because what he did is he said he was my boss. And he said, listen, you're supposed to go here, and you're not doing it. So I want to take your resignation so you'll go do the calling of God on your life. And I told him, give me six months so that I can pay for it. So I worked six months more as a manager. And when I went to school, I was able to pay for my schooling without having to work a ton. I could work part-time and take care of school. So, so he was the one, but he calls me, he says, man, got stuff going on. Could you keep me in prayer? I said, absolutely. I said, what's going on? He described some of it, but it's heart related. And I wrote him back. I said, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that the attack in your life is coming in your heart because you are one of the biggest hearted people I've ever met. He's the guy who believes for the unbeliever. He's the guy who finds the marginal Christian, pulls them in. Helps them get some footing underneath them. He's the guy who speaks possibility. Into, he's the guy who tells you, quit your job so you can fulfill your calling. He's that guy. And as soon as he said it to me, I was like, okay, brother, I will be praying. But it does not surprise me that the attack of hell on your life is in a physical place where spiritually you have such an enormous heart. Listen, I say that to you because some of you think, why is this always happening to me? I'm going to suggest you look for the undercurrent of the gift of God in you. Because if the attack is in your heart, there's a high likelihood you have a spiritual gift of love because you have a very compassionate heart. Does this make sense? So let, listen, take that out, take it free, talk to Jesus about it. But it was, as soon as I saw that, I said, man, a natural type of a spiritual condition, it's not always negative. It's very often quite positive. The attack is negative, but the demonstration of God's goodness is not. Amen? He's just trying to help. Help us see what, how he's gifted us, how he's working in us. So, again, now we're going to start through the descriptions. The first one is this, the description of Christ. So this is Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And we're going to go ahead and get this on the board and read this together. It says that, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of, cre of the creation of God, he says this. So you, we see, once again, we see descriptors of who Christ is. We see titles, if you will. Now, many of those titles were mentioned in the first chapter of Revelation. And then through each letter, he grabs those titles and reemphasizes who he is. Amen. Faithful. True. Yes, it's an expression of absolute confidence. 
How many of you have absolute confidence in Jesus? You're like, uh, yeah, yeah, I do, most times. You know, if we're honest, it's, struggle, it's a struggle to walk in full faith, isn't it? Now, I will say this. I have full confidence in that I belong to him. Somebody say amen. But it's the day-to-day that I struggle with. I don't know. Just, that's free. I, just, I don't know if that's you too. But it's absolute content. Listen, this word is almost identical in all three languages, the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Latin. When you look at amen, it's like universal. You realize that you can go to another nation right now. You can go to India. You could go to Thailand. You could go to Mexico. If you say amen, doesn't matter what the language is, everybody what? They understand it. They know that you're saying yes. I agree with the promise. I affirm what you just said. Everybody knows that. And what's interesting is it's not often different in other languages. And listen, this is just attributed to Jesus being a promise keeper. He's saying, I'm the promise keeper. I am the amen because it represents how God builds covenant with people. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes, therefore also through him, is our amen to the glory of God. See, this is the idea that when when Jesus says, I'm the amen, there's a resolute promise that we can bank on. I'm encouraging you that if life is tough, go back to the promise because Jesus speaks promises and he'll never renege on them. He goes on to say about himself, he says, I'm faithful. That means he's faithful in the transaction of business. He's faithful in the execution of his duties, his roles. So in other words, it's like saying this. If Jesus promised, can he fail? Of course. No, he can't fail. Well, fail. 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 Fill. He can fill it. I, I wasn't clear. I was jumbled up. It was the microphone. No, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> my, my bad language or enunciation. He's faithful in any transaction. It's the execute. Listen, it speaks to his integrity. If Jesus says he's going to do it, he's going to what? He's going to do it. And he says this, the, the one who is true, like this literally means the opposite of being counterfeit. Now, I would suggest to you this, handle Jesus a lot and often. You're like, what do you mean by handle him? Get in the word. Get to know his way. Get to know his person. Get around other people who speak truth. Because when you get that kind of stuff, when you experience that kind of stuff, what it does is it settles in your heart. It reveals the counterfeit and establishes the truth, the non-counterfeit. And that happens. Like, And I've shared this with you before, but if you want somebody to figure out counterfeit bills, they actually have them handle the real thing. Because if you handle the real thing often enough, when a fake one shows up, it's easy to spot. Okay, so that's what this is kind of about. Jesus says, I'm true. I'm a witness. I'm legal. I'm historic. I, I'm an ethical witness. Like there's nothing about what Jesus does that could be contradicted or somehow come up short. And then he says this, I'm the beginning of creation. Literally in the, in the Greek, it's this. I'm the origin of creation or literally I'm the creator. Now, why is that important? Now, see, in our church, because you've been taught a bit and you study your Bibles, you know that Jesus is God. Amen? We know that. But you know that that's not readily accepted everywhere? And you know that in the first century church, it was actually controversial? That Jesus could, you know, like, think like this. When Jesus was walking the earth, Jesus would say stuff, and they would pick up stones to, to, to stone him because he was demonstrating or declaring that he was what? God. He was acting like they dis- disagreed with that. So these are the things that are all led to the compromise in this church. 
They're embracing lower standards. They're not embracing the amen, the faithful one, the true witness. They're leaning into compromises, what they're doing. Um, so they start to do this. They start to question the word. So how can you identify compromise in your own life? Like, are you living in compromise? Am I living in compromise? Are we potentially living in compromise? The, the truth is this. Everybody has areas that we need to tune up. Amen? Everybody. But are you outright living a lifestyle that is contradictory? And listen, like Laodicea, you're unaware of it. So the first thing is this, doctrine. What's your doctrine look like? You're like, doctrine, that's such a technical word, Pastor. No, it's what you establish your beliefs on. It's a set or a course of teaching. Compromise always does this. It'll compromise to whatever the culture is saying. So I had to write a paper with Bella. Well, Bella had to write the paper, but I proofed it with her, and, and I helped her outline it. She's in a religions class at, at VVC, and the paper was the, the impact of the LGBTQ community on faith. Now, that's a pretty gutsy paper for a secular school. You guys realize that. And so we sat down and we started walking through the paper. And, I, and it was wild to me as we read and researched different stuff how many denominations are, are homosexual affirming. Now, I just have a simple question. This is not a bash. Listen, I could say the same thing about people cohabitating. Is it any different? Is cohabitation a sin? That's the question I'm asking. Yes. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. Is adultery a sin? Yes. Pornography? Yes. So we can just go down the line of sexual immorality. They're all grouped into this. But as I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, so the culture's saying, give me a voice. Laodicea, I need justice. Give me a voice. And the churches do this. Well, maybe that's not what Jesus meant. They start to compromise doctrine. Maybe that's, you know, if you study out Sodom and Gomorrah, God's correction of Sodom and Gomorrah was because they were inhospitable. That, that's actually what they teach. Oh, when Paul's talking about, about homosexuality in Romans chapter 1, he's talking about people who are promiscuous, not in a monogamous relationship, male and male, female and female. If you read the text, I don't know how you could get that. Male lying with male doing things that are detestable. How, how could you get other than... So when you look at compromise, it will always be that sort of stuff. It will look at what God said, and then it will twist it to the culture. The culture will influence God just a little bit more. A lot of times we see this with Christian liberties. Now, I'm talking to the church now, not to unbelievers. The number one thing I see in the church as a pastor, say, I'm a, he's a pastor. God, come on, blow me up. He knows a few things. Been around for a little while. No. No, 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 I'm teasing with y'all. When it comes to Christian liberties, this is the number one area that I see compromise in believers' lives. Um, carousing, cohabitating, sexuality, um, drinking, um, you name it, partying, uh, associating with people to the extent that you lose your witness. L listen, I just have a simple question for you. I'm talking to believers now. I'm talking to my church, my church. Are unbelievers really, really comfortable around you because of your lifestyle? Listen, what I'm saying is because your lifestyle doesn't lead them to any sort of conviction of right and wrong. Tough question, isn't it? See, listen, if your best friends are worldly and your lifestyle doesn't convict them, if they're saying, come on out and join us in this thing, and you know it's evil, you should be asking yourself if you've lost your witness. You should be asking yourself, am I honoring my family, my friends, 
my, my childhood buddies more than I'm living for Christ? Am I losing my witness? I say this to you guys all the time. Doesn't mean don't friend them. Doesn't mean don't influence them. Doesn't mean don't love them. But don't lose your priority of Christ because of family. Like the number one area, I love you guys, it is family. We let our kids do all kinds of crazy and we don't correct them. I have a question for you. Are, your, are you your brother's keeper? Will you someday stand before God for what you do or don't do in relationship to this? See, that's a tough word. I'm not trying to be mean with anybody. And if you've got kids, you know that sometimes you'll stand and be like, this is evil and wrong. They'll be like, I know, and they'll do it anyways. So what do you do with that? Do you compromise or do you stand firm? Let, let, let me say it like this. When Jesus corrects you, does he stand firm or does he kind of go like, you know, Tom, got to talk to you. Well, it's okay. You can get away with this. Dan, you and I got to talk. Ah, that's not that big a deal. Just go ahead and do it. Marty, Marty, Marty. <laughs> nah, don't worry about it. I got your back. I'll run interference with mom. I'll tell dad that you're somewhere else. Oh, man, I see this all the time. You guys... I'm not trying, like I said, at the beginning I was joking, he knows a few things. I only know a few things because I've been in the middle of some crazy. I've done a little crazy too, I'm not lying. But sometimes I look at this stuff and I go, okay, believers, don't compromise. Let, let, what? I, I'm, let me do it, scripture, let, let, let me, hold on, I'm way out of order in my notes, way, like I'm talking way, um, way out of order. I'll, I'll just tell you the story instead of trying to find it. You know that when um, Jesus was talking about the value of following and serving him, he made a really bold statement. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. What did he mean? He said, I, he goes on, he tells you, I came to turn daughter against mother, son against father. He said, if you won't honor me first, I won't honor you, is what he says. I'm paraphrasing all of that. It's an important thing that we don't compromise values, particularly within our family. So the first thing you'll always see with compromise is it'll be doctrinal, and sometimes it'll be in the, in the things that we allow. The second thing is we'll always see compromise in regards to Christ. It, it'll, it'll sound like this. Jesus was a good person, but he wasn't God. He was a prophet, but he wasn't God. He's a good teacher. I like some of the things he did, but he wasn't God. Or maybe if he was God, he was a created form of God, but he wasn't like the pre-existent, preeminent, eternal God. He was just a concoction of. By the way, I just demonstrated for you Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, and a lot of Christians, unfortunately. These are things they park on and believe because they diminish Christ, who Jesus is, what he stood for. He's the son of God. He's the redeemer, the reconciler. He's the sacrifice. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is God. So what does this look like today? This is how it, it listen, I'm just trying to help you understand. This is how it rolls out. So young people, you're going to go off to college. Don't have a lot of young people in here this morning. Some of you all are older, but you're still young. Somebody say amen. But for the young people in the room, you're going to go off to college. You're going to tell you all kinds of stuff, stuff like this. Like the Bible was written by men. Yes, it was inspired by God. Holy men wrote as they were inspired. So they're going to question the inerrancy of Scripture. By the way, let me help you all. Azusa Pacific teaches what I'm talking about right now. They do not teach that the Bible is inerrant. Okay, you're like, really? Azusa? I thought that was a great school. 
some professors are great. So, I mean, Henry, where are you, Henry? Henry graduated from there. And I said, Henry, he said, I would, sometimes I question whether or not the professors were actually Christians. They were academics. They were brilliant. He said, but I wasn't 100% sure because they were always questioning. And I remember there was a young guy from, from our church that went to, to school there. When he came out, he said, the scriptures are full of contradictions. They're not inerrant. It really compromised his faith. So anytime that you start to see this roll out, it'll look like this. The scriptures aren't inerrant. The scriptures aren't plenary. You're like, plenary, what does that mean? I've seen that in writing before. It just means complete. Is the Bible complete as we hold it today? Yes. Watch, here's where it gets dangerous. There's lots of church movements doing this. The Bible's still being written. No. I Thank you. He's like, heck no. No, here's the problem with that. You'll start justifying the worship of angels. You'll start compromising lifestyle and sexuality because the Bible didn't address that directly. That's what starts to happen. So is the Bible inerrant? Are the scriptures complete? Um, is it actually truth? Because once you start to question truth, there, there's no absolute authority to govern morality. So, so listen, listen. Why is murder wrong? Why is it wrong? Well, the Bible says it's wrong. Well, what if you eliminate the Bible? Is murder wrong? Why? Why? Okay, by whose standard? Yes, amen. By whose standard? I know, you see, you guys are so entrenched in being believers that you're like, murder's wrong. You go to other like tribes, they'll eat each other, and it's not wrong. I know that's pretty archaic, and I'm being a little bit extreme, but I'm just saying. Okay, so watch. But that's just in the jungles, right, Pastor? You guys remember Molech? You guys remember Molech? And you're like, what's Molech? I remember reading that in my, old, in my Old Testament study. Molech was a little rock that they would heat up and they would sacrifice babies on it. So they would murder as a form of worship. You're like, what the heck? Pastor, you're scaring me right now. No, I'm just telling you that why is murder wrong? Because we have an absolute of truth. If you eliminate the absolute of truth, Nothing's wrong. It's all subject to just your opinion. Why is drunkenness wrong? Well, the Bible says so. Well, what if you eliminate that? Why is it wrong? What about cohabitating, sexuality? What about having 700 wives? Why is that wrong? And every man is like, well, I can't handle one. How <laughs> cute. That was funny, huh? I better keep going. I'm going to ride on the roof of the car on the way home. I can see it now. So listen, when you start to question absolute authority, you start to lean to people's opinions. And if, and watch, there are about, a, I don't know, 80 of us in the room right now. We all have a different opinion about, heck, what kind of food you like. You know, you have a different opinion about what you desire or don't desire. You have a different, everybody has an opinion is the point that I'm making. Everybody has an opinion. So what's the outcome when you see this? Humanism. That's what you get. And it means this. God didn't really mean that. I mean, like, that was archaic. I mean, that's 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, some of the texts we read. It's so old. How could that apply to today? So in essence, this is what you're saying. Man is smarter than... <gasps> I would never say that. Oh, it's all over the place. Politicians, it's all over the place. Academia, it's all over the place. Listen, some religious leaders within the Christian community, it's all over the place. They speak things that aren't rooted in the scriptures, 
and then they lead many astray. This is it. Listen, I'm trying to make you aware this is everywhere. It's all over the place. It's part of why I say to you, know your Bibles, read your Bibles, get to know Jesus. So when the counterfeit shows up, you can say that is counterfeit. It's false. It's not real. It's wrong. See, cultural authority then will supersede biblical authority. That's all over in America. We see the demise of spiritual values, moral values, healthy cultural norms. Um, what's redefined? Families redefined. Have we redefined the family in our culture today? Oh, help me, church. Have we redefined family? Uh, listen, I'm going to say something that's going to sound mean, and it's going to affect or impact some of you. I do not mean it mean. I'm making a statement of, of just history and fact, okay? There's no mean. I'm not judging anybody. Say, say pastor's not judging nobody. He's not. In 1950, if you lived with somebody or you were divorced, you didn't tout it and promote it. If you were a single mom, it was like, <sighs> now listen, I'm not saying that was the right response. I'm just saying we didn't celebrate sin. That's what I'm saying. Today, it's celebrated everywhere. We celebrate people pregnant that aren't married. We celebrate people divorced in adulterous affairs while they're still married. And they deserved it because she treated him terrible. They deserve it because he, he, was, he, he didn't get treated right. We hear all kinds of stories. Listen, watch social media. Just scroll it for an hour and, and notice how many ungodly things are right in front of your face. And listen, and you're thinking this. This isn't shaping my opinion. Garbage in, listen. I'm just telling you, we're so unaware and so desensitized to this lukewarmness, we don't even aware it's, we're not even aware it's happening. It is everywhere today. Now, I'm like, let's all pull together and get a cocoon and a cult going so nobody can infect us. Uh-uh. Is that the response? No, Jesus said, go into all the world and shine brightly. Oh, but I like our church, man, because I sit with the same people and I know the same people and we all love Jesus together. We're warm. We're like a big family. Awesome. Let's get some people into the family. That, you know that that's actually, Jesus didn't suggest that, by the way. You know that's actually a command. Go into all the world, preach the It wasn't a suggestion. We treat it like, well, that's only if you've got a gift of evangelism. No, only if you've been saved from hell. Are you commissioned and called to be a light in darkness? Every, this is everybody. But man, this is, families are redefined. Sexuality is redefined. Come on. I, I watched one of the videos the other day because I'm like, let's just see how stupid this is. There's, they're arguing. They said, can only women have babies? And they're talking to a liberal group of LGBTQ kids, and the answer was no. And the idea was you could have a female who thinks that they're a male, and that person could still get pregnant, but they're a male. They're not a female. I, it's just, I mean, is this illogical? I'm going to go deep right now. You guys okay? Okay. When God created man and woman, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Can this satanic, ungodly, evil, like, promoting of sexuality in our culture be fruitful or multiply okay 
So when we embrace this stuff and we don't stand up against it, there's no way that God can bless something that he said, if I bless it, it is fruitful and it multiplies. How can you procreate boy to boy, girl to girl? Oh, well, we can just go and have the doctors do that stuff. You think that's what Jesus meant? You think that's what God meant when he created? No. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, this is all over the place, so much so that you don't even feel like it's your responsibility to speak up anymore because you're worried about being judged or canceled or being called a bigot or kicked out of a class or shut down or, or turned off of some social media platform. Like we had a service where I did this, and hopefully this doesn't happen to this one, where I did this in a service and they shut down the feed. They wouldn't let it go out. Like you guys don't think this happens. This is happening in our culture. The justice for the people, Laodicea. We want our spot. We want our voice. We want it now. It's happening all around us. And we're called to be light and darkness. We're redefining families. Okay, let me keep parking too long. Sexuality is redefined. Um, the state starts to replace God. For example, politics. I'm just going to trust the government to take care of me. Um, the value of life is redefined. Abortion. When is a baby a baby? When is a life viable? When is it real? Is it the point of conception? Listen, I would suggest to you biblically, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Listen, I would suggest you the biblical models even much further than most pro-life folks go. Much, much further. So we start to read, you know that in ancient culture, they forbade abortion because it was considered a crime against the state? If you eliminate babies, you eliminate adults, you weaken the potential of people to defend the state when they become adults, i.e. armed forces, that was a crime against the state, they forbade it. We think we're smarter than even the ancient cultures and that we're never going to answer to God for all of that. I say, I think this is a dangerous place the church finds itself in because so much of the church embraces this. Now listen, if you've been through any of what I said, whether I talked about divorce, when I talked about abortion, a lot of people have made mistakes. See, this isn't the, the, the place of you've got to be perfect to be with Jesus. This is called repentance. I did it wrong. I'm sorry, God. Lift me up and then help me to lead others not to do the same stupidity that I did. Amen. That is the Christian lifestyle. Amen. And we put our heads in the sand. We think this is not my place. I don't, I don't want to be canceled. I don't want to be rude. Oh, man. I told Henry, there's a lot that's not in my notes that I'm probably going to say this morning. People won't come back next week. I don't want to be rude. To who? To God or to people? I don't want to be rude. Now listen, I, I've, I say to you guys all the time, don't be cutting. Don't be stupid. Don't make arguments for the sake of being all right. Don't, don't like call me. No. If you want influence with somebody, you have to be in relationship with them. People won't listen to you if they don't think you care. They won't listen to you. However, that doesn't mean you approve of everything they're doing. And that is the line that I see crossed so often. I just find ourselves in places and I see like, again, I, I, you know, I see posts on social media and I just think, man, it just loses witness. And I see it not only with, with our church, I see it with people. I know a lot of people. And I see it and I just go, man, Jesus, what do you think of that? And God forbid I ever go down that road. Like, help me never to do something that grotesque, because, like, I'm human too, and I'll make mistakes. Somebody say, man, I've been around him some. He makes mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm just saying, when, when do we look at this stuff and say, hang on a minute. We've got to pay attention. Leads to rebellion. Again, justice for the people. 
The social mores are based on human opinion. Therefore, they're vacillating because everybody has an opinion. Everybody does. It will be differing. That's why the truth is so, so important. So what is Satan's deception? I know I'm parking on this. I haven't even gotten into anything other than the first verse of, of Laodicea. But, okay, and I got time, so we're good still. Okay, so to the question of Christ, anytime there's a deception, it always will revolve around who Jesus is, the person. See, the, the, the Father... Um, okay, so when we study Scripture, we, we understand that, that there is God represented in three persons, and it's not polytheistic. You're like, how do you get that? You have Father, Son, and Spirit in a Trinitarian relationship expressing person work of the Father, person work of the Son, person work of the Spirit, all the same in unity and in purpose, all distinctly different. It's like you watch the Father get grieved, you watch the Son get grieved, you watch the Spirit get grieved. You see all three of them at the baptism of Jesus. Even when you see the angels around the throne in Isaiah, it says, holy, holy, holy. Why three times? Because it's worshiping the Godhead, if you will. Anytime you start to get into this, you will find that there are questions around who Jesus was. The Trinity was established like, man, again, this is history stuff. And it's important for you to understand this was in contention in the early church for the first 300 years. So Jesus dies in a sense, and they're asking questions like this. Was he really a person? Was he a ghost? Did he come in the flesh? Was he really the son of God? Can God be a man? These are all questions that they were grappling with. I will suggest to you that those questions never went away for many people. But it was decided in the early councils, in the, in the Council of Nicaea being one of the most significant, that Jesus did in fact come in the flesh, that he was the second person of the Godhead, and that the Trinity was a primary doctrine of Christianity. What does that mean for you and I? That if you don't believe that, that you're in dangerous ground. You're potentially embracing a heresy. Do you know that there's a large segment of the, of the Christian church that embraces that God turned into the Son, then he turned into the Spirit, but he wasn't, it's not three separate people? I go, then how do you explain the baptism? How do you explain the spirit, the, the father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and then the spirit descends on him? You have three different expressions all in one scene. How do you explain that? And then I can go through tons of scriptures that explain this. This is a primary doctrine. When I, remember when I shared with you guys, I was talking with the Muslim guy, and he kept bringing back Christian guys. Well, when he tried to grab a like contend with me over Jesus calling himself God before Abraham was, I am. He went and found a oneness guy, not a, not a scholar, theologically speaking, and said, see, even Christians believe this. So you have a guy on the internet teaching the opposite that they resolved in the early church. So it's important for you to understand anytime there's a challenge, it will revolve around the person of Jesus. So quickly, there was a couple of heresies, and I won't get technical on the names, Arianism, but they, they just didn't believe that Jesus was preexistent. In other words, he, didn't, he was created. He didn't show up until he was born by Mary. He's not co-eternal with God. He didn't exist before the foundations of the world. Incidentally, the Bible teaches completely the opposite of this. And Christ was actually a created being. He wasn't God who came in the flesh. There's another, another false doctrine that says that Jesus was not the same nature as God. He wasn't actually of the same fabric, the same person. Um, Jesus is not a co-equal with God. He's not the second person of the Godhead. But what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is eternal. 
He's co-equal. He's pre-existent. So these are important things because we don't realize just how subtly those things are shifting around in our culture and how they impact you. You watch somebody online and you're scrolling, you're like, oh, that sounds good. And this guy's talking about Jesus and that seems really neat and they're not biblically accurate. But you don't even know that. So these things are important for you to establish. It's why I'm bringing them to your attention. Now, do I know anybody in our church who I'm like, whoo, that person's like way in left field? No, I don't. Definitely none of our teachers. I would, in fact, I would not let somebody teach if I thought they were inaccurate doctrinally. Okay, just flat out. I would be like, er, and so much so that I would probably pull it down in the middle of their teaching and be like, I got to share. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But I wouldn't let somebody stand in the pulpit and teach falsely. So it's important that we understand these things because they're impacting us all the time. See, the, the thing that, that was said about Jesus, that he's the same in being, not just kind of a, an aberration of God. Okay, so I'm torturing you guys with detail. Let's keep going. So what is Satan's de deceit? Okay, question the word, question Jesus, roll out universalism. All roads lead to God, right? So you can be a Buddhist, get to God. Be a Muslim, get to God. No. Be, but, but, that's, but that's where it goes. When you remove truth, you end up with humanism. You end up with everything being equal or the same. The way that Paul said, that, said of this, he, he says that they have a form of godliness. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses. I'm not going to break them down, but just so you, you hear it in the Bible. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Hello? I, I like me pretty much too, by the way. I'm just saying. I get in trouble with that on occasion. I'm just saying. They're going to be lovers of money, boastful. They're arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. This is alive and well in our culture, you guys. Man, I watch the way kids talk to their parents. I'm like, I would have got knocked into next week. if I. I remember one time I called my mom by her first name. It wasn't even disrespectful. I didn't even know I wasn't allowed to do that. My, I'm like four years old, and I go, hey, Faye, could you? My dad said, hey, they, he called her Fanny. That was her nickname. Hey, Fanny, could you get me some coffee? And I said, hey, Faye, I want some too. Woo! That was a bad day. It was a bad day. Scared the life out of me. Like, I never again called her anything but mom. Like, never again. But I watch what kids call their parents. I'm thinking, woo, you need to pop that kid. I'm kidding, but you need to line them up. I, I, listen, so you guys know I'm not an advocate of popping a kid, but we did use a paddle and we did spank our children, and it worked. And my kids ain't perfect, but they know, they know discipline. They do. Goes on, it says that they're ungrateful, they're unholy, they're unloving, they're irreconcilable. There's no way to bring a solution. They're malicious gossips. Come on, watch this social media. They're always talking smack about everybody. They're without self-control. They're brutal. They're haters of good. Not just that they don't do good, they actually hate good. They're treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch, holding to a form of godliness, but they've denied the power of it. That is our culture today. This is alive and well in our culture. Listen, sadly, it is alive and well in the church. I wish it weren't, but it is alive and well in the church. So what should we expect? 
the scriptures don't hold authority. Jesus was not pre-existent. We're going to deny the Trinity. We're going to deny that the Jesus is deity or God. We're, we're not going to pray to him. We're going to look at how sin impacts only the people on the earth, but ultimately everyone's going to be saved because it's universal. How could God send people to hell if he's loving? Come on, am I telling the truth right now? Hello? This is all over the place. See, this is the modern humanistic movement. There's no creeds. They discard them. Like, there's no apostolic church. There's no Jesus. There's no Son of God. They just deny all of this stuff. And this was pushed very strongly late 1800s through the mid-1900s. Uh, the, the Clarence Skinner, he was the dean of Crane Theological School, which, which is a liberal school, influenced American universalists to emphasize, listen, social issues. Is this our culture? Let's focus on reparations, homosexuality, LGBT. It doesn't matter what it is. Let's find a splinter group, make it the issue instead of God the issue, and then try to solve it with man's ways. This is all over the place in our culture today. He denied salvation after death. In other words, everybody's going to get there. You don't have to die or you don't have to even do anything. He looked to the universals of mankind versus of God. He influenced them to deny Christian creeds. They became the modern religious humanist, humanism uh, movement. They drew religious substance from traditions of great world religions, not Christianity. And by the end of the 19th century, they emphasized that everybody would be saved regardless of what they believed. It's a, they'd affirmed a naturalistic worldview, and it was based on human experience rather than on God. This is all over the place. This is in our culture, alive and well. It, listen, if you've got kids, if you've got grandkids, and they're going to school, this is impacting them. This is what is being taught on our college campuses today. You need to be more tolerant. All the while, while they're being intolerant of your faith system, of what you believe, that's what's going on. This is all over the place today. It is alive and well. See, Jesus' lordship was even questioned in the early days. It's not a new thing. Humanism is always a counterfeit of what God wants. Man will define themselves by themselves. Ultimately, it's saying this, man is smarter than God. So, so what's the satanic deception? Question the scriptures, question Jesus, and you end up with humanism. That was a lot. That was a lot that I just gave you. And I'm hoping that some of it resonates and you kind of go... Okay, so how can I influence and impact people back toward truth, particularly people that you're in relationship with? Okay, so that is just who Jesus was, faithful, the amen, the true, the promise keeper, and then some of the deceptions. Point two, the commendation. This poor church, Jesus said nothing good about them. Nothing. He didn't have anything good to say about them. You know, for those of you who, who like, man, live and let live, celebrate compromise, whoo, you're in a dangerous spot. I'm just saying, you should not celebrate compromise ever. You shouldn't allow it in your homes. You should not allow it within your circles of friendships. I'm not saying cut everybody off. I'm saying choose where you're going to be and how you're going to shine light because you're called to shine light. Didn't say embrace all the crazy. Said live as light in darkness. The biggest challenge, I said this earlier, is our family. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Listen, you will be accountable for the people God has placed around you and how you interact with them. We will stand before God someday, and he's going to say, what did you do with your children? What did you do with your grandchildren? What did you do with your aunties, your uncles, your nieces, your nephews, your friends? What did you do with it? That's challenging, isn't it? 
That's why I like, listen, I, I say, man, be light in darkness. Bring people, bring people. The, my biggest concern for our church, this is your pastor talking, my biggest concern, said this last week or the week before, I'm going to say it again. We love each other. We've cocooned ourselves in. We are not outward. I very rarely, very rarely see you bring friends. Very rarely. I know you've got friends. I know you've got them. I see the posts. <laughs> It tells on you. I know you've got them. Maybe some of them are in other churches. Praise God. But I don't see you bringing your friends. I don't see you contending for them. And I'm not saying the church is the place they should land. Are you living as light and darkness with them when you're out there? Are you shining light? That's the question I keep asking. They weren't. Jesus rebuked them for it. No commendation at all. Then he comes up with the actual rebuke. This is Revelation 3. Verse 15 through 17, he says, I know your deeds, the energy you put out, that's what he's saying, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. It's interesting. He reverses those. I don't know if you noticed that. Saying it doesn't matter which way you came in. Either way, you're ending up in the wrong place. So because you're lukewarm and you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out. I'm literally going to vomit you. Anybody ever ate bad food? You ever taken a drink of milk and it was bad? Oh, is that like the worst? It's like that commercial. The guy goes, oh, he shakes. He goes, looks lumpy. Smells bad, too. And then he takes a drink. He's all, oh, that's so disgusting to me. I'm like, like, I'm a food guy. That's so gross to me. But you ever done that? Got a mouthful of something that was bad? Like, for me, it's always orange juice. Because orange juice, you can't tell when it goes bad until it's in your mouth. So you take a drink, and it tastes like it's carbonated. Oh, it's terrible. It's the worst. But that's what Jesus is saying. What would you do with that? putrid in your mouth, you'd spit it out, wouldn't you? That's what he's saying. Saying your lifestyle is putrid. I'm going to spit it out. He says, I wish. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Jesus is wishing. I wish that you were cold or hot. He's, I, 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 like to me, that's kind of a weird thing because Jesus can do anything he wants except for override your will. That's crazy to me. He's saying, man, I, I wish you'd get on board. I do. I do. And I think it's also fascinating. He says, I wish that you were hot or cold. L listen, listen. I talked with a guy one time. He was in my office, and he was talking about all the stupid he was doing. And I, and I finally said, listen, if you're going to do that, just go do it. And he goes, what do you mean? He's like sleeping around, partying. I go, just go do it. He goes, why? I go, because the spiritual splits is awful. You got a foot in the world, a foot in God, hot and cold? I said, it's terrible. If you're going to do it, do what Jesus said. He said, I wish that you were cold or that you were hot. So if you're going to do it, go do it. He looks at me, he goes, you telling me to go sin? I go, no, you idiot. I'm telling you to get right. But if you're going to go sin, then go do it. Don't live in the middle. It's terrible. It's a bad witness all the way around. Nothing about it is good. Jesus said he hates it so much, he would spit it out. I mean, you got, and again, this all ties into the region. They understand this because they've drank bad water before, and they've spit it out. They understand exactly what he's talking about. He says, sin of righteousness, sin of righteousness is better than compromise. That's what Jesus just said. I wish that you would do something with it. Verse 17, he says, because you say, watch, again, remember, I'm rich. Wasn't this the wealthiest of the cities? I, I become wealthy. 
I've got these sheep and this iSalve and, and we've got minting going on in a banking system. Like we're doing great. We have need of nothing. We're so self-reliant. And you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So you think you got all of it going to you like you're all that and a bag of chips? And Jesus is saying, listen, you're wretched, you're afflicted, you're to be pitied, you're miserable, you're poor, you're destitute of any virtue, you're blind, mentally and spiritually blind. It's impossible for you to see. Even though you have the eye salve, you still don't see. And you're naked. Remember, this is a textile area. They're known for their clothing. You're exposed, you're naked. Here's the worst part. They can't see any of it. They are completely unaware that this is how they're living. Can I say something to you really direct? Welcome to America. This is us today in full form. We have a form of godliness. We deny it. We embrace all these ideas about spirituality, but our lifestyles do not demonstrate that we live it outside of the room. We put on Sunday best. We speak Christianese. We go out the door, and we live like we've never been saved. And I think God is like, I'm so sick of that. Listen, if you're going to sin, go sin. If you're going to live for righteousness, live for righteousness. Don't live in the middle. Don't live in the, don't live to, to extremes. Like, like, choose this day who you're going to serve. It's like we studied with Elijah. If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. But choose today who you're going to serve. Listen, again, not perfection, excellence. Give God your best, he'll build on that. No one's perfect. Say it with me. No one is perfect. Come on. No one's perfect. Say, I'm not perfect. And we all know pastor ain't perfect because heck no, he's not perfect. I'm not. But do I aspire to honor God in areas of my, I do. I do. And we should too, all of us together. Not perfection, excellence. Give him your absolute best. He says, man, I wish that you were doing this stuff. I wish that it was right. But instead, wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. And they don't see any of it. Then he gives them a command in verse 18. And he says, I advise you. Buy from me gold refined by fire. So use all that wealth you've got and buy something that's pure, that doesn't have impurity in it and all the other stuff. Gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. He's speaking of spiritual wealth now. And buy from me white garments. Again, they were known for textiles, so they knew what good stuff was and what junk was. Buy from me white garments so that you will be able to clothe yourself and, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. Now, I find this really cool. Let me tell you why I find it really cool. Because Jesus is trying to not allow our shame to be on display. And he's telling us how to do it. He's saying, listen, buy things that are, are my way. Like, when, when you see this language, buy from me white garments, he's saying, come to me for purity and covering. The garment covers you. The white is, is reflective of, of purity. Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I will clothe you with righteousness and I'll protect you. That's a powerful thing. Like, listen, there are so many times, so many times, I just go sit before God and go, man, I feel uncovered. I feel like I don't do very well. I, I feel like of all the people I know, I should not be a pastor. I feel like of all the people I know, I sh like you get kind of in the woe is me. You guys get me? Anybody else ever get in any woes, me's? I've gone too far. I've disqualified myself again, you know, whatever. And I, it, listen, you guys know me well enough to know I don't ever promote sin. I'm not light duty on it. 
not with myself, not with other people, but we all sin. Amen? All of us struggle. All of us fall short of the glory of God. But I go back to Jesus all the time and say, I, I, if I'm honest with you, I did it this morning. I, I went through my notes. I do it every Sunday morning. I pray and I go through my notes and I'm like, God, I don't feel like I live this well enough to preach this message. I, I, God is my witness. I said that to him this morning. This is a hard message. This is a deep message. This is calling people to account. This is calling me to account. And I don't know that I live this well enough to preach this. I walk, so I walked in the room. Greg looked at me and said, how are you doing? I went, yeah. <laughs> he didn't know why I was saying it, though. And I was like, yeah, I'm about to preach something that's deep and wide, and I feel a little convicted by it. Not, not perfection, excellence. And I felt like God said, are you bringing me your best? I said, I, I am. I'm bringing you everything I got this morning. I'll bring that. And he said, if you'll bring that, I'll touch it. That's how God works. What's your best? He doesn't ask for perfection. He asks for excellence. Come in, bring me your best, and I'll anoint that. And every time I do that, I walk away thinking, I know I spoke some things that were deep, some that were hard, some that people may have even disagreed with. I don't agree with you, Pastor. Well, that's okay. We'll get to heaven and figure out I'm right. <laughs> I'm playing with you all. You know that. I am. But I come, and I deliver it, and I walk away, and I go, okay, God, I did the best I could, and I'm going to trust the outcome to you. If, if I said something that was really dumb, can you do this in their ears so they didn't hear that part? Because I'm just me, and, and I'm not perfect. But I'm going to bring whatever A game I've got today, and I'm going to do the best I can to bring to, to them a message that builds their hearts, that challenges them, that, that encourages them. Jesus said, buy gold refined by fire. White garments, so you can clothe yourself, so that the shame of your nakedness doesn't get revealed. See, Jesus is going to cover us in the eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may actually see. I think that's awesome. He said, heat it up to get the impurities out. See, fire always refines. The gross stuff comes to the top, and you scoop it off. That's what he's saying. I want this to be pure. I don't, I don't want 10 karat gold. I don't want 18 karat. I want 24 karat. In fact, I want to go high. I want it so pure that there's nothing bad or wrong in it at all. He's saying, bring to me your heart in that fashion. Pure covering. See, Jesus, again, he's using language they understand. He's tying it to their region and the things that they're familiar with. I think he's doing the same thing with us. I think he's never stopped doing that, by the way. I think he speaks a language that we would all understand. Like, I know, come on, church, do we know when Jesus is talking to us, when he's correcting us, when he's directing us? Like, if we get ourselves out of the way and we're honest, do we know? The answer is yes. It's very rare that I have somebody come to me and go, I have no clue. It's very rare. Usually they'll be like, eh, I just didn't really want to do that. Or it seems like a lot to ask. I've seen that often. I've seen it in myself often. So if Jesus is saying to buy, what is the currency? Have you ever thought about that? God is asking you to step into the throne room of heaven and to buy from him. What's the currency? What do you bring to, to buy something from God that's worthwhile? On my bank account, my 401k pastor, my 3,000 square foot house, my brand new car that I just spent 120 grand on, 
which is crazy to me, the price of cars these days. Anyways, that's aside. Whatever, my things. And he says, no, 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 just your heart. That's what I want. I, the currency of heaven is your heart. Currency of heaven is God. You, listen, you can be disgustingly wealthy. Bring him your heart, and the wealth doesn't mean anything. He's looking at your heart. You can be poor as dirt. Bring him your heart. He's looking at the heart. It's what he's always looking at. Doesn't care about your, your success, so to speak. He wants you to steward your gifts well, amen? But he's not looking at how much money you have or don't have, what position you hold or don't hold. He's just saying, will you give me your whole heart? Because that's what he's interested in. When you boil it all down, he's interested in 100% of you devoted and given over to him. And now the promise, and we'll wrap up right here. The promise, verse 19, he said, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. I'm going to read it with different words. Those whom I love, sacrificially, I convict and I train and I purify. That's it. So listen, if Jesus ain't convicting, training, and purifying you, you should look. If he ain't talking in your ear right now, you should pay attention. I'm being really serious with you right now. If you're not convicted at some level after me preaching this directly, you should walk out of the room and check yourself. Just being really serious. Maybe you should check yourself in. No, I'm playing. I'm not just playing. But you should check yourself. Because that means maybe you're a little bit like tuned out of what the Spirit is trying to say because this is as direct a message as I can bring to you. And I'm not trying to be mean, trying to say pay attention. Verse 20, he goes on, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens, I'll come into him and I'll dine with him and he will dine with me. We use this passage very often in evangelistic sermons. But the reality is he's talking to believers. He's talking to you and me. He's knocking. Like there's that really old portrait. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. A, like the English-looking white Jesus standing at a, at a big oak English door. And he's knocking. And there's no handle on the door. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Because the only way the door can get opened is from the inside. It's the person letting him in. It's brilliantly done. But that's what Jesus is saying. If you'll invite me in, I want to interact. I want to train you. I want to build a relationship with you. He's knocking because he wants us to, to respond. Without hesitation, he'll respond. He's wanting us to open up the door. Listen, I love this about God. He'll never violate your will. It's the wildest thing ever. He can do anything he wants, but he will not force you. Now, there's some people theologically who are, God is more sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. What about Pharaoh? Yeah, I can argue the one outs in Scripture as well. But I'm talking everyday life people. He's not going to come in and say, Steve, you've got to be a Christian. Betty, you've got to be a Christian. He's going to say, I love you. Do you want to come in? I'm knocking. Will you open the door? That's what he does. With, it's done that to all of us. If we're believers, he's done that to all of us. Incidentally, he's always doing that to all of us. It doesn't just mean salvation. It means depth and intimacy and growth. It's all of those as well. He's a perfect gentleman, and he's waiting for the invitation. That's what it is. Verse 21 and 22, he says, He who overcomes, he who Nikes, like the shoes many of you wear, overcome, Victor is literally what it means. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. In other words, I'll give you authority. As I also overcame and I sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear to
to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, Jesus granted, he gave it as a gift. Why did he give it as a gift? Because it was his to give. He couldn't give authority he didn't possess. So when you go all the way back to the beginning, you say, is Jesus God? He could not have granted you anything if he wasn't. Listen, you come to me and ask me for something, I can only give you what I've got. Oh, Pastor, I need a car. Well, I got the little old red Scion. If you want that, that little hoopty, you can jump in and drive around. I, I, but if you said, hey, I want a Lamborghini. I don't have a Lamborghini. I can't grant you that. I can grant you what I possess. I can't grant you what I don't possess. Jesus, listen, possesses all authority in heaven and earth. So when he says, you overcome, I can grant you the authority so much like it'll be just like I sat down with my father. It'll be the same for you. Now watch, 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 watch. Pay attention. On earth. He's not talking about when you get to heaven only. He's saying, listen, you have authority now. I was talking with somebody about this earlier in the week, and I said, man, why do you struggle with stuff? I said, because I don't realize my authority. They go, really? You think it's that simple? I go, I actually do think it's that simple. Jesus said I'm an overcomer, and I don't walk in authority sometimes, and when I don't walk in authority, I get insecure. Anybody else ever get insecure? When, they, when I don't walk in authority, I, I lose my right or my access, and, and I start to think of myself small, like, like I have thoughts like I had this morning, like, Jesus, I can't believe I'm bringing this message because I'm not sure I'm living it. And he's like, well, that's okay, you're not, but go bring it. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm asking for excellence. Give me your best. I can work with your best. Amen? Amen. Let me... Um, let me pray for y'all. And can we take the lights down? I'm just going to do a couple of areas of prayer, and then I'm going to dismiss y'all. Now, I will say this. When we're done, maybe some of you are like, oh, I'm pretty convicted. I need some prayer. There'll be a few folks up here when I'm done, done. So if you want one-on-one -on -one prayer when I'm done, you can come on up front, and Caesar or Bill and Judy or some of the others that are available on the ministry team, they'll pray with you and just encourage you and believe for you. But just with heads bowed, if you would say of yourself, I'm lukewarm. It's just a, a matter of confession. You don't need to tell me the area. I don't want to know the area. It's between you and God. But if you'd say, I think I'm lukewarm, slip your hand up. I'm just going to pray for you. Just going to pray for you. And yeah, a number of hands going up. So as I'm talking, what you're listening for is I teach you how to hear what the Spirit of God says to you. It's this. If you have that, that like, maybe, that usually means there's something that God is trying to line up in your heart. That's usually what that means. So, Father, I want to first start with this area of prayer. For those who lifted their hands and said, I, I think there's areas where I'm lukewarm, areas where I compromise. And, God, you know every hand that went up. You know every heart and what it represents. You know the struggle. Could be family, could be money, could be friends, peer pressure. Who knows? I don't know the situation. What I do know is that you demonstrated for them that their hands should go up because there's an area that you're just trying to bring excellence out in them. You're trying to help them to grow. So God, would that lifting of their hand represent repentance, where we stop and we say, God, I agree with you. I agree with what you're doing. I want to do it your way. And God, I also pray this way, that where we don't have the ability, the strength, we just want to lean into you and say, God, would you strengthen us by your spirit to honor you and walk in a way that 
lukewarmness becomes hot, becomes white garments, becomes gold refined by fire, becomes pure. It becomes that sense of unity and communion that we get, the peace that passes understanding when we walk in a way that honors you. God, I pray over every hand that went up. Pray for those online that are saying, that's me. God, that we would just bow our hearts and say, Jesus, would you forgive us? And when you, would you lead us in a way that we walk and trust you with our whole hearts? For the second group, this is when I was just processing this this morning and over the week. and just I just feel like there was a lot of us, if we were honest, we would say we don't really try to live our witness very well. You're walking with Jesus. You're probably not even doing anything too crazy. And we know none of us is perfect. But if you were honest, you'd be like, man, it is really hard to confront my family or to live, even if it's not a confrontation, to live my convictions of truth with my kids, to live my convictions of truth with my friends, to live my convictions of truth with my coworkers and with other people in my life. And I want to be somebody who lives a conviction of truth, that I don't compromise, but at the same time, I still have influence in a relationship. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. I want to pray for you. So, Father, I, I just pray for courage. The thing that I feel most led to pray for is a boldness and a courage. God, I also pray that the energy that goes out to say, I'm going to stand firm in this particular area, God, that you would anoint it with grace and that the, the stance would shine light and not judgment or criticism or any other accusation, that it would actually demonstrate freedom and a release and possibility. God, I pray that there would be a grace that would go over all of us, actually, that we would be able to live our witness with others that were around, that, that God, we wouldn't just, I don't know, enjoy the gossip, enjoy the conversation that's backbiting, enjoy the slander, um, or not say something about it, maybe participated in a little, but it wasn't me who initiated it. God, I pray that those things would diminish in us, that Holy Spirit, that you would be quick to say, does that glorify me? Does that honor the person? And God, that, that when, you, when you do that with us, that we wouldn't defend it. We would just say, God, I'm sorry. Sorry for, for speaking wrongly, for not living as light, for not being a witness that holds truth in a way that is easy to see, but also an uncompromising value. God, help us to be outward. God, shift our hearts so much. Where, where the enemy has come in and said, you, you can't say that because it's offensive. God, may the most important thing in our hearts always be, are we offending you? God, I, I don't want to be offensive with people, but if it means that I'm offending you by not doing that, then I pray that you would make me know that. So God, as we go today, as we finished up the seven churches, may the areas that we've looked at be areas that, that we just honestly assess our own hearts. God, where we're doing well, I just pray that we would bow low with humility and say thank you. And where we need to grow, I, I pray we'd bow with the same humility and say, God, build us and change us. God, as we go today, I, I mean, this is selfish, but I'm going to pray this. Pray that there would be a spirit of evangelism on us when we go to restaurants with waitresses, waiters, 
with people that we encounter as we grocery shop or Christmas shop, that there would be just an outward expression of grace that we're willing to share the goodness of Jesus' rescuing grace in our lives. As we go today, God, keep your hand on us. Let us go like challenged, growing, but also loving you deeply. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right. Hey, if you do need prayer, and you're like, hey, I want a little bit of prayer, there'll be somebody up here to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you next week for kids' programs and Christmas celebration. God bless you.